permitted him to live. Where Father? What happened? I need help. What is democracy? What is democracy? It's got something to do with young men killing each other. When it comes my turn, will you want me to go? For democracy, any man would give his only begotten son. What's going on? Darren Wisely here, Hillsdale's most trusted and beloved lawyer. And that's the title I earned by telling you guys the truth that no one else will. Which is why I thought I was just so deserving that I gave that title to myself. <laughs> and this whole COVID ridiculous hoax, uh, it just gives us a prime example of that. If you followed my show since its inception back in late 2020, I was hammering all along uh, that we were constantly lied to over and over about the masks, the lockdowns, and of course the jab. I need you to get jabbed to protect me, but the jab doesn't even really protect me. It supposedly just makes uh, getting COVID less worse, and that's why I still have to wear a mask. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. And, of course, we got to trust the science because, uh, that's right, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Science is something you just, uh, you know, kind of like a, a cult worship, you just, you just trust it. It's not something that's data-driven or a scientific method or something that's there to be proven or disproven uh, with time and with new um, data. Then, of course, you know, you got perfectly healthy young people that just start killing over, dying all of a sudden, and what happens to that? Just all gets swept right under the rug. But I knew from day one this whole jab narrative was a total load of horseshit because everyone in government was pushing it. And on top of that, everyone in media was pushing it. And we were so surrounded by the propaganda so blatantly in our faces daily. And that told me everything I needed to know, okay? I don't need to make my eyes glaze over with all this data, charts, graphs, things like that. Sure, that'll prove my point. That'll show I'm right. But I operate very much on a, simply a logical, argument-driven basis, if you will. The fact that government and media were all in complete lockstep, pushing this ridiculous, crock-of-shit narrative told me that we weren't getting the truth. Why? Because every time the government and media push something, it turns out to be a total lie. Seriously, think about one time. Give me one example when it's been true. That's what I thought. <laughs> we are constantly gaslit at every single turn. And on top of that, the fact that they have to coerce people, threatening their livelihoods, means of uh, putting food on the table for their families, um, just to force them to get this jab they otherwise wouldn't get, well, tells you once again everything you need to know. Not to mention, how many people do you know that actually died of COVID? Not died with COVID, um, not, you know, my uh, cousin's neighbor's uh, girlfriend's, mailman's sister, okay, someone you knew. 
And yet it's so important to get this life-saving jab. Because we're all in this together. <laughs> People are so stupid. But on top of that, for me as a lawyer, the fact that Pfizer and all these corrupt companies are totally immune from tort liability. That right there showed me it's completely untrustworthy. That also showed me everything I need to know. The incentive is there for them to push whatever product they want and make millions and billions of dollars. And I have to worry for one second about any repercussions. If it kills people, if it makes people permanently sick, if it ruins their immune system, uh, makes them infertile, doesn't matter. These people are immune. If you got in your car right now and you turn the key and it just blew up, you know, like in The Godfather 2, um, except someone didn't put a bomb, it was because the car was defective, okay? (laughs) What would you do? Well, assuming you lived, you'd sue the manufacturer for a defect because um, you should expect to get in your car and start and be safe, right? And that's what the incentive in tort liability is, is to give some kind of reason for for these companies to make their products safe. So people aren't just running around, you know, getting dismembered and things like that. But when it comes to the jab, and I know, you know, I'm not calling a vaccine, it's jab, it's jab so-called, mRNA, poison virus, whatever you want to call it. But just refer to the jab, it's easiest for these algorithms. Uh, but anyways, when it comes to the jab, that just is not the case. The incentive structure obviously is not there like it is with every other product you see in this country. So all these basic facts were all I needed to know from day one that this push for the jab was a total fraud. Total fraud. And speaking of frauds, okay, who in their right minds would listen to an absolute joker like Tony Fauci? The guy changed his story like five times a day. Every time he gets up there, he forgot this, he meant that, he didn't say this, even though they have him right on record and TV saying it on the news or, uh, you know, saying it to uh, to Congress or whatever. I mean, he botched the whole AIDS thing back in the 80s, okay? <laughs> I mean, he was discredited then. The Founding Fathers, I can tell you one thing, they would have had him strung up by now. But people today in this country, they don't have that kind of integrity. That's because all of the men have been completely emasculated by, uh, you know, this public education, the the culture, all this trans idiocracy and the toxic masculinity. See, lies like this wouldn't be even attempted 250 years ago, let alone someone like that is able to stay in there and keep pushing it for years on end. Because most of the population, I mean, they're rugged. They're farmers, planters. You know, they just want to be left alone. Revolutionary war vets who just, you know, finished fighting this bloody war. You know, if nearly freezing to death. Frost, you know, just just terrible conditions. Um, you think they were going to fight for all those years and then turn around and deal with uh, more tyranny? But, you know, today, you look at our society. we got these low-T dudes running everywhere. They're never going to push back on anything. It's exactly how the government wants it. Then these pear-shaped, just gross chicks everywhere. I mean, what's going on with this population? It's like we're surrounded by mutants. (laughs) 
And with these people, even when they're lied to over and over, they just take it, you know? They think, this time they're telling the truth. Yeah, I know last time. I know, uh, I know the whole CIA and JFK thing was a lie. I know the whole 9-11 uh, narrative was a lie. I know the, uh, um, you know, the war in Iraq was a lie. But this time they're telling the truth, okay? <laughs> okay. Okay. But if you followed my show, I told you the truth from day one. And most of your so-called conservative media that you see in the mainstream, uh, they were on board pushing the jab. The very best thing they said is, well, government shouldn't force you to against your own will, but this is a huge, huge qualifier. I'm vaccinated and you should be too. You should do it voluntarily, but government shouldn't force you to. But please, please get it. That misses the entire point. Saying the whole thing is a lie and the jab might actually kill you or make it so you can't have kids or make you very, very sick. That's something none of these jokers could touch. And I took all this flack day after day from these midwits, these Karens. They had nothing to do but just preach, you know, their pretend uh, moral superiority. Oh, I'm so selfish. I just want people to die. I just want a haircut, blah. Blah, blah. Well, where are all these dipshit losers now? I'm still waiting for that apology. <laughs> so on that note, I'm, I'm really excited about today's show. I hope you guys enjoy it, and I hope you enjoyed the kind of opening rant. Um, I'm going to do a show, since we're speaking about since I just opened up with COVID, Fauci, and how we're constantly gaslit, lied to by all these narcissists, we're going to do this lawsuit that was filed against Joe Biden, Tony Fauci, and all the other Ferengis up in Washington. And it's the exact topic I was just discussing. The censorship of any COVID information that doesn't go along with the Ministry of Truth's narrative. Now, I'm not going to go, you know, super in the weeds with these complexities and, uh, you know, super minutia points in here because uh, there are a ton of documents, okay? The complaint itself is 84 pages long. I don't want to bore you with that, but I thought it would be fun to, you know, kind of outline it and, uh, you know, give kind of a uh, cursory overview of what's going on in this case and what we've seen in the discovery so far. And it goes to telling you guys the truth that uh, many of you knew all along, because um, you guys are smart people, you're my thought criminals, you know, we're further vindicated as more and more comes out in this case or the discovery. If you've been following this at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't been following, well, I'm about to tell you. So I wanted to use it to, to show you how the legal system can just screw you. Even though substantively, maybe you have good art, sound arguments, um, you have firm grounding, but you'll see what I mean. See, what most people don't get is that in most cases, it's procedure. And that's something really, unless you really have a lot of experience in the legal system, you have to be a lawyer to really, really get that. Okay? And, uh, you know, the devil is in those details, in those procedural details. Now, in this case, 
I think uh, actually it's been a f- pretty fair judge to his credit so far. Um, which of course, I'm surprised because that's such a minority. But uh, I'm sure these plaintiffs, you know, to give themselves any any chance in this case, I'm sure they, you know, strategically filed it in a uh, in a jurisdiction, you know, where um, they'd have a good chance of you know getting a judge that would at least give them a fair shake there. So I'm sure they did that intentionally. So they wouldn't be, you know, completely wasting their time. But uh, those are just things to think about, you know, moving forward as we get into this and as this case progresses. So this case, it's called Missouri et al. versus Biden et al. That's right, Joseph Dementia Biden. And it's filed in the Western District of Louisiana, which, if I had to guess, would be a fairly, you know, let's go Brandon-ish type territory. <laughs> so the state attorneys general of Missouri and Louisiana filed a lawsuit against Joseph Biden. And the rest of these uh, Ferengis, and there's a lot of them, which I'll get into, for illegally colluding with social media companies to suppress Americans' First Amendment rights to free speech and to ban or deplatform those who shared unauthorized views about COVID and vaccines. And again, the uh, Missouri and Louisiana, I'm sh- those attorney generals, you know, those are Republicans too, as you might imagine. So let's turn to this complaint. I got it pulled up right here. And uh, it was filed on May 5th, 2022. The complaint itself, as I said, it's over 80 pages long. And I'm not talking about the complaint plus exhibits, you know. You know, you might say 80-page complaint, but it's like 30 pages. You know, you got proof of service. You got your all these exhibits, documents. But that's, that's just the complaint. So it's quite lengthy. So the complaint opens up here talking about how, you know, Biden's... I hate to say Joe Biden because we all know he's not calling the shots. But if I say Biden here, just know like the people acting on his behalf or, you know, his handlers or his diaper changers or whatever you want to call them. Um, but, uh, you know, they're talking about the Biden administration, you know, trying to hide behind this disinformation. Oh, this is disinformation. We can't have disinformation. Um, what about what they say every single day? I think that's the def that's like the clearest definition of disinformation you can get okay <laughs> i mean it's just a meaningless term of art you know because to one person something might be disinformation another uh maybe not and it says uh in the plaintiff's complaint here in paragraph 35 in reference to biden in them labeling disfavored speech misinformation or disinformation does not strip it of First Amendment protection. Anyone who's been watching my show recently should know that. And then line 37, they kind of they have a good follow-up. I like this quote. Permitting the government to decree this speech to be a criminal offense, whether shouted from the rooftops or made in a barely audible whisper, would endorse government authority to compile a list of subjects about which false statements are punishable. That government power has no clear limiting principle. Our constitutional tradition stands against the idea that we need Oceana's Ministry of Truth. Of course, that's a reference to uh, 
1984 by Orwell. So it's all very true. And that's exactly what the First Amendment is, is there to protect. So you don't have this just arbitrary um, shutdown of speech that uh, government doesn't like. But of course, what have they been doing with this whole time? With this social media? Uh, especially, especially when it comes to COVID, the jab. Exactly that. That's exactly why we have the First Amendment. And what they're doing is a complete abomination to it. So further on in the complaint, like I said, I'm, I'm really, there's a lot here and I'm not going to just talk about the complaint. So I'm just going to pick up some highlights. They start talking about social media. This is in section C. The plaintiffs say in the complaint, public and private attempts to police misinformation or disinformation on social media have proven embarrassingly inaccurate. Well, that's an understatement if I've ever heard one. They continue. Yesterday's misinformation often becomes today's viable theory and tomorrow's established fact. Hmm. Does that uh, ring a bell to you guys? Is that how you feel? That's certainly how I feel. You know how six months ago uh, we're tinfoil hat conspiracy crazy kooks? That's what they said. Yesterday's misinformation often becomes today's viable theory and tomorrow's established fact. Yep, yep, yep. Exactly what we're going through all the time. So then after that, the the plaintiffs list specific stories that were censored. And these are the ones they're really hammering home in their complaint and in their lawsuit against uh, these uh, ultra-corrupt Ferengis. The Hunter Biden laptop story, speech about the lab leak theory of COVID-19's origins, speech about the uh, efficacy of mask mandates and COVID-19 lockdowns, I'm looking at you, big Gretch, and speech about election integrity and the security of voting by mail. Yeah, those are all very, very great examples, and I'm, I'm really glad they're going after them. And of course, all those things, you know, we're, we're, um, we're censored by government. Very, very, I mean, they completely had the boot down on all of our throats on these topics. And uh, you're just treated like you're insane for even bringing them up, for even questioning the narrative, as you all know. And that is the exact definition of gaslighting, okay? It's what they do over and over to discredit any form of dissent and try to just just crush um, any type of uh, unallowable opinion. And the complaint goes on for many, many pages of examples of how the government's colluded with their core social media to censor speech, to push this narrative. And they give a lot of examples, but I mean, you guys have all lived through <laughs> the last couple of years. So, I mean, you get you get have a general idea of what, what's been going on. Um, so at the very end, the plaintiffs and their prayer for relief. So all that means is basically the plaintiffs are saying what they, what they want the court to, to do, what they want, uh, the outcome of this case to be, why they're found, basically the remedy they want from their lawsuit. So what the plaintiffs basically are asking for here, let me scroll down uh, a little bit more so I can read it for you. Plaintiffs respectfully request that the court enter judgment in their favor and grant the following relief. 
declare that defendant's conduct violates the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and analogous provisions of Missouri's, Louisiana's, and other states' constitutions. Declare that defendant's conduct is ultra-various and exceeds their statutu- statutory authority. Ultra-various conduct just means you're acting outside the scope of any lawful authority. Declare that defendant's conduct violates the Administrative Procedures Act, is unlawful, and vacate and set aside such conduct. So yeah, part of this complaint, they were talking about the Administrative Procedures Act, which is just a statute that um, sets all these guidelines for these government actors, which of course they don't come anywhere near following, but um, I don't really think we're going to get a lot by going into all that. So just so you know, though, when it's brought up, so you're like, what the hell is he talking about? (laughs) Okay. Um, Beyond the scope of the show, you know, unless you want it to go on for four hours. So Uh, anyways, continuing on with the prayer. Uh, preliminary and permanently enjoined defendants, their officers, officials, agents, servants, employees, attorneys, and all persons acting in concert or participation with them from continuing to engage in unlawful conduct as alleged herein and grant such other and further relief as the court may deem just and proper. So there you go. So that's the complaint, and uh, I just want to slog through a little bit of this litigation for you guys because there's some really interesting stuff in this discovery, and again, you can just see the endless gaslighting that goes on here. But first, um, let me tell you all the parties are in this original complaint, and more people get added on as this goes. I believe there's two amended complaints after the original So, I mentioned Biden and Fauci, but you also have Jennifer Renee Saki, or Saki. You know who I'm talking about. She's the uh, Peanuts, Charlie Brown girl, doorknob, uh, the uh, White House press secretary. Um, So, you have her, Vivek H. Murthy, in his official capacity as Surgeon General of the United States. Xavier Becerra. Secretary of Department of Health and Human Services, and then DHS, and then DHHS itself, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the CDC, and Alejandro Mayorkas. I think I actually pronounced that properly. I'm I'm pretty proud of myself getting that right on the first try. If I did, maybe I didn't. But and he's uh he's the secretary of the. Um, Department of Homeland Security, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, Jen Easterly, Director of the Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, and then that agency as well, and Nina Jin, oh, here I go, Nina Jin, <clears throat> I'm trying it one more time, you can look it up if you don't get it from this one, Nina Jankowicz. And I really screwed that up. In her official capacity as director of the so-called Disinformation Governance Board. They put that in quotes within the Department of Homeland Security. That's that's actually hilarious. So before the defendants even responded to the complaint, because what happens is you file a complaint, you serve the defendants, they have to file what's called an answer where they respond. You know, the complaint's kind of like the opening kickoff at the beginning of a football game. Um 
But before defendants even these defendants even responded, the plaintiffs filed a uh, motion for a preliminary injunction. Now, a preliminary injunction uh, just means that the court is ordering a party either to do something or to refrain from something. Most, almost all times, it's to refrain from doing something. It's to restrict them. Um, it's called specific performance when you're ordered to do something. And there's there's very rare circumstances. I'm not going to get into that when that's used. But for purposes of this, pro- the plaintiffs filed a motion for preliminary injunction to uh, enjoin these defendants from the censorship activity that's going on as they outlined here in this complaint. And I really like how they're, you know, litigating this case aggressively. Kudos to the attorneys here for the plaintiffs because just a couple days later, um, and again, before defendants had responded to the motion or the complaint, uh, just, I think, three days later on June 17th, the plaintiffs filed a motion to expedite discovery that would give the defendants only 14 days to respond to the discovery request. And the argument here is that this would allow the plaintiffs the ability to ascertain the identities and nature of communications of federal officials who are coordinating with social media platforms on the suppression and censorship of online speech. So, what do you know? Then the Ferengis finally submit their first uh, substantive motion on this case... Of course, they're objecting to this expedited discovery. Of course, they don't want (laughs) to let the cat out of the bag. And, you know, here we go with the gaslighting. So this motion argues in favor of the defendant's position that the court doesn't have standing. So to file a lawsuit in any court, you have to have what's called standing. And obviously there's tons and tons of rules regarding that. But the basic concept is you have to have a case or controversy to sue someone. So if you're not directly involved in the you know transaction or occurrence, then you don't have standing. Your case is going to get poured out. Okay. So you know if um, you know your two neighbors, neighbor A and neighbor B, were in a contract, and neighbor A breached that contract, you couldn't sue neighbor A for breaking his contract with neighbor B because you're not a you, you you weren't affected by it you don't have standing so that's like a really like rudimentary kind of explanation the argument uh Biden et al make here is that the states of Missouri and Lu- Louisiana do not have standing to sue them uh over this you know a great example too is like those whole Trump uh lawsuits over of course the completely fraudulent concocted up uh, election in 2020 those cases were all thrown out on standing grounds. And not one of those cases was ever heard on the merits. That's what a lot of these, like, shit libs online are like, oh, all these cases got dismissed. They were all frivolous. It's like, no, they weren't even heard. They were all thrown out procedurally. The substance was never addressed. The substance didn't make it into the courtroom. And I guarantee this, if the substance did make it into the courtroom, there'd probably be a lot... Uh, different outcome. So this is exactly what I'm talking about, where no matter how good your case is, uh, there's always, you know, a million ways to screw you over. Of course these states have standing. Their own officials that are suing here were censored. And they're suing on behalf of their citizens, where that 
again, they've been censored too, but that's the gaslighting I'm talking about here. So the court, of course, issued an order on the uh, motion for expedited discovery, and um, of course after that, and then the defendants uh, objecting to it, their order said, quote, plaintiff, plaintiff states, as in states, not states like speaking something, like states of the union, have alleged both individual and quasi-sovereign parents patrie interests. This court finds the plaintiff state's alleged injuries are both particularized and concrete. Plaintiff states have a parents patrie standing and or a quasi-sovereign interest in protecting the citizens from having rights of free speech suppressed. Additionally, the plaintiff states have standing to regulate enforcement of their laws and constitution, which guarantee residents of Missouri and Louisiana free speech. The alleged injuries are imminent and allegedly ongoing due to the allegations of social media suspensions, removals of disfavored viewpoints, and censorship. Then later on uh, in this order, the judge says, Quote, if Missouri and Louisiana do not have standing under the facts alleged, when would anyone ever have standing to address these claims? In conclusion, the court finds that the plaintiff states have standing and that this court has the judicial power to hear this case. <laughs> I just love that. I mean, he's exactly right. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's really heartwarming to see a judge, like, actually do the right thing for once. <laughs> um, sad as that may sound. But uh, he's exactly right. And that's exactly, you know, like I said with this endless gaslighting, is that's exactly what, you know, these Fauci and Biden and all these, you know, jokers were hoping for, is that uh, exactly right. Is like, well, we can do whatever we want. You can't sue us. You don't have standing. No one has standing. Therefore, we're never going to have to answer uh, for, you know, all these crimes we've been just committing over and over and over again. Um, judge is exactly right. If these states don't have standing, no one does. So, they then move on in this order to the actual issues uh, for the argument of why the discovery should be expedited. And the analysis of that is way too technical for the scope of this show, but... Uh, just to let you know, he does rule in favor of the states, so they then do get expedited discovery, and the judge lays out a fairly detailed order, you know, in terms of the scope, the deadlines, things of that nature. So, like I said, this seems like a pretty decent, fair-minded judge, because I'm sure there are many, many in this country who would have just poured the whole thing out right away, and that would have been the end of it. As I kind of touched on, you have plaintiffs start adding in all these other people uh, into this lawsuit. Who are the lucky winners? Here you have Carol Y. Crawford. I almost said Carl Crawford. The uh, He was an outfielder for Tampa Bay. But anyways, in her official capacity as chief of the digital media branch of the Division of Public Affairs within the CDC, the United States Census Bureau... Jennifer Shopcorn, the Senior Advisor for Communications with the Census Bureau, the Department of Commerce, Robert Silvers, who's uh, with DHS, Samantha Vinograd, 
Um, she's in DHS. I mean, I don't know who all these people are. Maybe you've heard their names. I don't follow it closely enough to know. But Jen Easterly, um, she's uh, director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Gina McCarthy as White House National Climate Advisor. And the Second Amendment complaint will add even more. So basically what's going on here is, as you have discovery, um, the plaintiff's attorneys start finding out, okay, now this person's implicated, now that person, so now we got to bring them in, and then, you know, now we got to uh, maybe depose them, or get discovery from them, serve them interrogatories, and the thing kind of grows and grows, and you kind of put this, like, little pieces together, this just massive web of, of literal conspiracy, uh, you know, to violate all of our First Amendment rights. So in the second amended complaint, this was filed in October, you have Andrew Slavitt, uh, White House Senior COVID, it says COVID-10 advisor, but I'm sure that's a typo, it should be COVID-19. Robert Flaherty, the Deputy Assistant to the President and Director of Digital Strategy at the White House. I mean, what are these titles? People get paid to do this stuff? I mean, it's ridiculous. Courtney Rowe, uh, she's also involved with the COVID-19 con job at the White House. Clark Humphrey, same thing. COVID-19 response team. Oh, we need a response team. <laughs> Benjamin Wakanda, or Wakana. Wakanda's uh, from whatever that Black Panther movie. Uh, again, COVID-19 response team. Subhum- <laughs> Subhan Chima. I mean, these are their real names. I'm not making them up, okay? I might be mispronouncing some, but, uh, you know, I'm just using my hooked-on phonics here. Also with the COVID-19 response team, Dory Salcedo from Finding Nemo, uh, Director of Strategic Communications and Engagement for the COVID-19 whatever, and Timothy W. Manning, an actual normal name, uh... He is White House COVID-19 Supply Coordinator. Dana Remus, Counsel of the President. Aisha Shaw, White House Partnerships Manager. Laura Rosenberger, Special Assistant to the President. Mina Hassang, Administrator of the U.S. Digital Service within the OMB. The U.S. Department of Justice. Here we now we now we got things getting pretty interesting. The FBI, Laura Demlau, uh, she's with FBI, Elvis M. Chan, he is with the FBI, Jay Dempsey, social media team lead, the digital media branch, division of public affairs at the CDC. Wow, that is quite a title. They have a digital media team at the C. Why? At the CDC. Why? So they can spread their propaganda. Kate Galatis, CDC. Eric Waldo, Chief Engagement Officer for the Surgeon General. Yolanda Bird, she's part of HHS. Christy Choi, part of HHS. Tarika Lambert, HHS and direct Deputy Director. Office of Digital Strategy at the White House. Joshua Peck, 
Deputy Assistant Secretary for Public Engagement at HHS, Janelle Muhammad, Deputy Digital Director at HHS, Matthew Masterton. He's with uh, within CISA at the Department of Homeland Security. Lauren Protentis. Man, do they just pick the hardest names to pronounce and say, hey, here's a job in government. You can sit around and do nothing except harass people. Um, she's with CISA. Jeffrey Hale, CISA. Allison Snell, CISA. Kim Wyman, CISA. Senior Election Security Lead is her title. Brian Scully, DHS and CISA. Zachary Henry Schwartz, Division Chief for Communication Directorate. At the Census Bureau. Lorena Molina is... It's I-R-I-Z-A-R-R-Y and it's a hyphenated last name. In her official capacity as an official of the Census Bureau. Kristen Gailmore, Deputy Director, something with the Census Bureau. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Look how big this thing's getting. Erica Jefferson. Michael Murray. Brad Kimberly, they're all with the FDA. The U.S. Department of State. Leah Bray. Samarudin K. Stewart. Daniel Kimmage. Alexis Frisbee. Those people are all with the Department of State. Department of Tre- the U.S. Department of Treasury. Look how deep this thing goes. That All of these government entities are implicated. Now you see what we're dealing with. Wally Ademio, Ademio, he's the Deputy Secretary of the Treasury, the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, Mark A. Robbins, Kristen Muthig, and they're both with the EAC. Sorry for those pronunciations. But it is pretty hilarious. You know, now you have so many parties, so many attorneys, so much going on here. Uh, I just can't imagine how much of an overwhelming mess it is to litigate a beast like this when you're talking about, you know, thousands and thousands of pages could be coming in on the daily with discovery. Yeah, this thing I'm sure will be long, tiresome, but uh, the more truth we can bring out of this, you know, the better. I mean, are any of these people going to be really held accountable? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, they're government. They're never held accountable. But as you're about to see, you know, the discovery can uh, bring a lot of light to some things and it can really, you know, give us direct evidence that these things we knew were happening were happening so the endless gaslighting can finally be put to bed. So not surprisingly, the uh, White House fought to keep the communications secret, especially with regard to Tony Fauci's correspondence claiming all White House communications he made are privileged. (laughs) Gotta love just hiding behind that. Oh, nope, everything's privileged. Uh, I guess we're done here. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, executive privilege, it it doesn't apply to external communications. Like, that wouldn't make any sense. Uh, The judge rejected, you know, the Biden administration's claim of executive privilege, and uh, they ordered the White House to hand over any and all relevant records, including correspondence to and from the patron saint, Tony Fauci. I mean, the the idea that they would ever win on an argument like that, I mean, 
yeah, some of these judges are so corrupt they probably could, but I mean, from a legal standpoint, uh, you know, it's pretty absurd. So I'm sure they're sweating, you know, having to hand over everything, which is, you know, obviously a great thing for, you know, us and for transparency. So on October 21st, 2022, the court also authorized expedited depositions of eight key federal officials named here in the case, and Fauci is one of them. The DOJ then asked the judge for a protective order to keep videotaped depositions under seal, effectively demonstrating that it's on board with these unconstitutional activities. Well, <laughs> no one's surprised there. Um, in the end, the depositions, they were not kept secret, and Fauci's took place on November 23rd, 2022. Um, you know, one thing to note, though, the fact that they think there should be a protective order and, you know, all these things are all privileged. I mean, what does that tell you? Uh, I thought this was supposed to be a we the people government. Then, if that's the case, what's government got to hide from us? If they're there to be public servants, then why can't the public know about it if they're serving us? <laughs> I mean, it just shows you, uh, you know, these just complete, like, narcissist, sociopath types. Uh, what their mindset is, the people in these positions. I mean, all these people, you know, they're very mediocre, you know. They're not the kind of people that would get high up in the business world. I mean, some of them do after because of the connections and things they made, obviously. But, um, you know, they're just really mediocre type of people um, that yeah, that are leeches, suck onto the right thing, and push the right narratives, get high up, and then, you know, of course they just uh, absolutely abuse their power because that's all they were there for in the first place. So after the depositions, um, the uh, one of the attorney generals, it was Schmidt, I can't remember which state he was, but he said on uh, December 5th, 2022, uh, Missouri, and this is quote, Missouri and Louisiana are leading the way in exposing how the federal government and the Biden administration worked with social media to censor speech. In our deposition with Dr. Fauci, it became clear that when Dr. Fauci speaks, social media censors. I encourage everyone to read the deposition transcript, see exactly how Dr. Fauci operates and exactly how the COVID tyranny that ruined lives and destroyed businesses was born. Uh, that you know, That's exactly right. Definitely check out the transcript for yourself if you're interested. Um, it's really some Orwellian stuff, you know, come to light. I know the word Orwellian, you know, might seem a bit cliche because it gets overused, but I mean, this is, and we know this, if there's ever been an Orwellian thing here in the United States. I mean, this COVID tyranny, these past couple of years, this endless gaslighting, um, is extremely, I mean, you know, uh, could George Orwell have predicted this? I, I don't know. I mean, the concepts he certainly has, but the other attorney general, his name's Landry, he said, quote, Fauci's recent deposition only confirmed what we already knew. Federal bureaucrats in collusion with social media companies want to control not only what you think, but especially what you say. During no time in human history was this more obvious than during the COVID-19 crisis where social engineering tactics were used against the American public 
not to limit your exposure to a virus, but to limit your exposure to information that did not fit within a government-sanctioned narrative, end quote. Wow. I mean, both of those quotes from these two attorney generals, I love it. I love, you know, they're not being mealy-mouthed. They're not dancing around like these, a lot of these politicians or these pundits on TV, you know. I mean, they're really just saying what it is. Uh, it's, 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 it's absurd. It's, it's insane, you know, fringified tyranny. And to call it anything less is, is certainly not doing it justice. I mean, from day one, the, the fix was in. And that's what, that's what this discovery is showing people, you know. And stuff, you know, I'd been saying all along, I mean, I obviously didn't have the direct evidence. Again, I just kind of used, you know, kind of some reductionist, you know, uh, um, you know, deductive reasoning, if you will, but, um, it wasn't really that hard to figure out something was up, but this just confirms everything and really shows you how overt this stuff was at the top and with all these, you know, interdepartment, uh, collusion. Uh, again, as, uh, as Landry said, trying to control not only what we think, but especially what we say. And that's why the files here are where the thought criminals, because, our thoughts are not going to be controlled, and um, we're really racking up the uh, the felonies of thought crime here. So, uh, Fauci's transcript here, November 23rd, 2022. And according to this transcript, Fauci answers questions with, I don't recall, 174 times. 174 times Fauci's memory... Uh, fails him, and I mean, I mean, I know he's been hanging out with Joe Biden a lot, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's just that he uh, doesn't recall. Okay, um, you know, Sleepy Joe, I'd actually say if he didn't remember something, it'd be the one time he was telling the truth. Um, and in this uh, uh, deposition, claimed that he didn't know who some of the key co- collaborators were, and was only vaguely familiar with projects he funded. At the uh, WIV, the lab, uh, where the COVID-19 pandemic uh, looks like it originated from, the, that Wuhan lab, okay? And uh, here's a quote from Justin Goodman with the White Coat Waste Project. Quote, what really jumped out at me is that in the deposition, Fauci definitively states at numerous points that it is impossible that the animal experiments that he funded in Wuhan could have sparked the pandemic. At the same time, he claims he's only vaguely familiar with the project he was funding there and that he barely knows the key players. He can't have it both ways, end quote. (laughs) Well, that's certainly right, but Fauci's had it about seven ways to Sunday with the story changing whenever he needs it to. So yeah, I mean, Fauci says that uh, he has no insight to what's going on in this in this research, even though he funded it over the years. But if he has no insight into this research, um, how can he be certain that none of it resulted in the creation of SARS-CoV-2? Riddle me that, Batman. Such a liar. Such a hypocrite. Such a piece of shit. Fauci was also deposed about his suppression 
of the Great Barrington Declaration, which called for focus protection of the vulnerable and isolated of those infected rather than nationwide lockdowns, which, of course, we were all subjected to, which was more bullshit. Focus protection has been a longstanding basic principle of public health that's, you know, been followed for decades. The Great Barrington Declaration, if you recall, that was um, a lot of these, obviously, like, you know, 99% of doctors, you know, went along with these, like, blatantly unscientific lies. I mean, I don't know if it's 99%. I'm just throwing out a number. But it it seems like it, okay? You know, they just went along with it. You know, I don't know how they could do that. One, if they're supposedly scientific uh, type of people, they obviously weren't following science themselves, which is really concerning if that's someone giving you health advice. Um, And on top of that, they all take a Hippocratic Oath, which shows they're all just a bunch of frauds and liars, just like, you know, attorneys that say they're going to, you know, obey the law and the Constitution. (laughs) Um, And politicians, on on that note, but, I mean, we all knew that about politicians, right? These, these, you know, doctors are are literally, you know, um, letting you destroy your health with this mask and uh, this jab in in the face of... Even though it goes against all the science. Um, That's sickening. That's sickening to me. That these people... I mean, I get it. Some people, you know, it's a tough position to be in. Um, But I don't know how those people sleep at night. I mean, I really don't. I mean, at some point, you got to look in the mirror. And it's like, you know, you're fine screwing people. I mean, maybe you let yourself live with it for a few weeks. But, I mean, to do it for years on end, I don't know. Uh, that, that really changed my attitude about, you know, doctors, the medical profession, all of that, you know, um, they're not really a type of profession that kind of has a negative connotation, you know, like, again, like you said, like lawyers or something, but, um, or like used car salesmen. I mean, I don't know. I mean, to, to me, that put doctors down at the bottom there with politicians because, you know, they're, they're rolled out as these, you know, do-gutters trying to help people, things like that. But they're just screwing with people's health. Um, you know, at least lawyers use car salesmen. You know, like, okay, we're just trying to make money. Like, <laughs> there's no pretense. The Great Barrington Declaration was some heroic and courageous, and I'm not being hyperbolic, because these people did put a lot on the line. So those that came forward, just like Dr. Trozzi. You guys see my episode with Dr. Trozzi, who's a Canadian doctor, um who is still, you know, in spite of all the harassment, taking his license, all that stuff, still doing his thing. And he's got his website. You can look him up. But uh, I did an episode, you know, a while back, you know, a little over a year ago. And uh, But it's going to be in the Substack. So you can find it. But he tells so much of this stuff. And, you know, that's a guy who, you know, literally put his money where his mouth is. So when I say someone's heroic, you know, for, for, for doing this, it's like, yeah, I mean, those are good people. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much respect I have, just like in the Great Barrington Decoration. And I mean, these guys are, you know, these are respected individuals, top universities. thing. But of course, you didn't even hear really, unless you listened to alternative media, that this thing even existed. Uh, they weren't going to put it on TV because... What would happen then? Then people would question the narrative. And you can't have that because then it all falls apart. And again, the Great Barrington Declaration came out very early into the uh, the stupid lockdown. But these emails uh, reveal Fauci and NIH Director Francis Collins colluded behind the scenes to quash the declaration 
from day one. And since they couldn't defend lockdowns based on the science, they resorted to propaganda, PR, and smear tactics uh, instead. And uh, in an October 8th, 2020 email to Fauci, Collins wrote, the proposal from the three fringe epidemiologists seeming to be getting a lot of attention. There needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of these premises. Um, <laughs> he calls them fringe epidemiologists. I'm not going to go into this. I'm going to play something for you. In an email exchange with Dr. Collins, you conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Apparently, there's a lot of fringe epidemiologists at Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. And you quote in the email that they were from Dr. Collins, and you, you agree that they are fringe. And immediately, there's this takedown effort. A published takedown, though, you know, doesn't exactly conjure up the image of a dispassionate scientist. Instead of engaging them on the merits, you and Dr. Collins sought to smear them as fringe and take them down, and not in journals, in lay press. This is not only antithetical to the scientific method, it's the epitome of cheap politics, and it's reprehensible, Dr. Fauci. Do you really think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 salary to attack scientists that disagree with you? That voice, of course, is Senator Rand Paul, who there's been no one, at least in the political realm, as an active you know, office holder, who has done more for the cause of liberty and for defending our Constitution in the past couple of years. And that cannot be understated because he has grilled Fauci, taken all kinds of shit for it. I mean, you know he faces all these threats. He had, a, you know, the one guy attacked him that one time. But, um, but he just keeps doing it. And I love to see it. And I love when he gets on there and he just, he just shreds him. And, of course, he's a doctor too. Uh, like a real doctor, he was an eye doctor, had his own practice in um, in Kentucky. Not like Fauci, who's just some career government bureaucrat that just, you know, makes shit up, but somehow keeps, you know, moving up the ladder and getting paid more the more he lies. But that, I guess that's kind of how it works in Washington. I just can't say, you know, if, if, if we did not have Dr. Paul as a voice on that, on that public stage, um... There would be literally no one throughout this who is holding them to task, like at least in a public uh, realm. And in his deposition, however, Fauci suddenly could not recall how or when he became aware of the declaration. Which is kind of funny, you know, considering that email. Fauci was uh, confronted with the email that uh, Dr. Paul was just grilling him about in that clip. Fauci could only vaguely remember getting the email, and he couldn't recall... Uh, whether well, he'd actually read the declaration, uh, which Collins linked him to. <laughs> oh, what a... Oh, man. Such a liar. But either way, Fauci claimed the declaration had been of little interest to him. He said, quote, I wouldn't imagine that I would be overwhelmingly interested, end quote. He also couldn't remember if he'd ever responded to Collins' email, even though... He'd promised Collins that he'd take care of the problem. He'd also sent, you know, propaganda articles from these, you know, magazines that wouldn't even, you know, serve as toilet paper in my office, uh, you know, debunking uh, this 
trying to debunk, I should say, this, uh, you know, the focus protection, the herd immunity concept. Um, when Fauci was asked, do you know what he's referring to when he talks about a quick and devastating takedown? He, of course, would be Collins in that communication. Fauci replied, quote, I do not know what he's referring to. I would imagine I was thinking that someone would take the counter-argument of what the premise was. I don't know specifically what he meant. He's likely talking about writing a scholarly article to contest some of the premises. That would be his style. <laughs> wow. Well, Collins, though, he never composed any scholarly article uh, to counter this focus protection argument. You know, Fauci's just making shit up as he goes, of course. But what did happen is that Right after Fauci told Collins, I got this, the mainstream media suddenly started publishing articles um, critical of the focus protection. Hmm. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. So where does that leave us? Well, we're still very early in this litigation process. We've already seen some very damning evidence Come out against the feds here regarding censorship. But, you know, as you've kind of seen just a teensy tiny tip of the iceberg of, the government is going to fight tooth and nail at every turn to minimize transparency and the public being aware of the truth. Does that sound like a government that believes in liberty and serving the public to you? <laughs> there's, there's a plethora of motions in this litigation trying to object to uh, you know, any, any kind of information the plaintiffs are trying to get. And of course, through that process, blocking public getting disclosure of what's really going on in Washington. Uh, luckily, as I've said, the judge in this case is not convinced by the government's arguments and, uh, various forms of objections to discovery requests here have been denied. So one example is the discovery of Jennifer Sackey, again, Charlie Brown. Uh, she filed a motion to quash the subpoena requiring a deposition from her. But on November 21st, 2022, the court addressed her motion. And here's a good quote I like uh, from this court's order on her motion. Quote, specifically, this court found Saki's statements made at press conferences on May 5th, 2021, July 15th, 2021, and April 25th, 2022, showing Saki had personal knowledge about the censorship of social media, exceptional circumstances were present, and that there were substantive reasons for taking her deposition. Despite the fact that Saki is a former high-ranking official, the potential burden upon Saki was outweighed by the need to determine whether free speech had been suppressed, end quote. So in this opinion, the court denied both Saki's motion to quash and her motion that in the alternative, uh, if the subpoena is not quashed, that they would stay the subpoena pending an appeal on the matter. So, I mean, that's, that's very good to see. It's another victory for transparency and getting to the bottom of this very deep, corrupt, um, seemingly bottomless swamp. 
So where will we go from here? Who knows? Hopefully, transparency will continue to prevail and we can see what else is really going on in the deep state. But as I've showed you over and over, they are not going to willingly provide anything to the plaintiffs or the people that these officials claim to represent. So I will definitely be keeping up on this case. I'm sure a lot more is going to come out if it keeps going in this discovery, which is awesome. Um, if you like this show, let me know. And I'm happy to do a follow-up here in a few months and kind of see you know, what new things we found, what's going on with the litigation. And I know I went a little long today. Um, sorry about that. I didn't want, as I said, to get too technical and too focused on, you know, all these different legal things. Because, again, there's so many documents, so many parties, uh, so many arguments, and so much information in this case. So I didn't want to, you know, just go so legal jargony, making it boring. But I also didn't want to just gloss over everything because that would almost serve no purpose. And, you know, without a foundation, without context, then, you know, the information I'm trying to provide wouldn't make any sense. So I tried to, you know, as a court would say, balance these things. <laughs> so I really do appreciate all of you who listen and support the show. Um, we're getting some momentum, you know, with people paying attention to it. I mean, look, I put a lot of work into it, you know, especially today. And I do it because I want people to know the truth. And if more people knew things like this, like the things I talk about on this show, the landscape in this country would be vastly different. So if you do like the show, all I'm asking is you share it with your friends, your family, share it on Facebook, whatever you can do it, because it doesn't cost you a dime, and it's a way you can help keep this show going, keep me incentivized to make it, and most importantly, get the word out to more people. So I hope everybody has a good rest of their week here, and until next time, peace.